Welcome back to Spin Now with me, Katie. And it's that time of the hour, which I've kept very snug at 10 o'clock, your special guest. And it's the last week of our four-week special. I'm being joined this week by Dr. Antonia O'Keefe. We're going to be talking about child psychology. I'm so excited to be joined live in studio. Antonia, how are you? Very good, and thank you for having me. Not at all, not at all. So you are last in line, and I'm telling you, you've nothing to be nervous about. The rest of the doctors have absolutely smashed it. And I'm so excited to jump in and chat to you today. What is a child psychiatrist? Let's kick it off with that one. Um, um, so we're medical doctors um, who who do specialty training um, to work and to assess and treat um, children and young people who have who have mental illness and um, on the severe end of I suppose um, mental difficult mental health difficulties. And we talked for the last couple of weeks, young adults dealing with adults themselves with these difficulties, but it's so different with a child. And what intrigues me is how you know what happens when a child goes into a psychiatrist's office because I'm sure it's very different from when an adult goes in. It, it is different, yeah. And every, I suppose, every assessment is different and every session is dif- different. Developmental stage and with a different set of difficulties, a different set of strengths. So so you're right, it, it always is different. Um, I think children and young people, I, I think all of us need time, but children and young people in particular do need time and, and need time, you know, for the assessment and, and you know, um, for for the process and, you know, to to allow it, it to become clear maybe what, what actually is, is going on. So I, I think we, we meet, you know, like we anticipate that it will be difficult for, for, for the child and probably very difficult for, for the parent to be there and certainly for, for, for the first time. We are often meeting people who, you know, may be in crisis or, the, you know, there's a lot, you know, going on at, the, at, that, at that first stage. So I, th- I think our awareness and, and, and understanding of that and maybe anticipation of that. So from the very start that we do try to put the, put the parents, put the, the, the young people at ease and, and allow them to know that, that we understand how, how, how difficult this is. Um, and actually how much courage it takes to ask for help and to acknowledge that, that maybe you're not doing as well as, as you might like to do, that you're not doing okay and that it takes a huge amount of courage. It's not easy for both the parent and the child to come to this decision to book the appointment with a psychiatrist to have their child checked for a disorder or whatever may be going on. Is there certain signs and symptoms uh, for a parent or a psychiatrist, you know, a standout thing to notice within a child to know that they need a psychiatrist? Well, I suppose children children are referred to see us. So, you know, there's... there's there's usually a reason or a context um, and children are referred to see us. So they're usually, by and large, they're referred by their, their own doctor, by their, their GP. They can be, I suppose, referred in, in a hospital setting. So if, if they've gone to maybe an emergency department or they're, you know, in, you know, in, in the hospital, maybe getting care on, under paediatrics or that, or they may already be getting some care in, in, in primary care or you know, so that so they are referred, and there's usually maybe a, a particular issue or a particular question that's 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 asked of us. Um, I suppose a parent might no, might notice, or or school might notice that that a child is struggling or or not doing not doing so well. Yeah, that was my yeah. next question. It's normally picked up earlier on in the years from school parents, and uh, is the same 
as adults to go to a GP to look for a referral or does can a school help with that? Um, a school, a school can sometimes, you know, kind of notice. Schools are, you know, schools and, and teachers are, are absolutely brilliant at, at noticing, and and you know they're with the, you know, the young per- the child or, or a young person so much, so they so they do notice. So they may have a conversation with with a parent. A parent may also have a conversation with a, with the school and 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 kind of maybe be concerned that their child isn't 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 doing so well. And tell me, what sort of mental illnesses do young people get? Because this is a broad one for for children, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So so children get the the range of, I suppose, of mental illness and and mental difficulties. So it can be from anxiety, OCD, like depression, mood disorder. We sometimes see, because we we treat young people up to the age of 18, so we sometimes do see like an early bipolar or something that could be an emerging bipolar affective disorder. We see young people with eating disorders, so the, so the range of eating disorders, you know, you know, anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder. Um, we see young people who, who have psychosis, so, so maybe the first episode of, of psychosis, um, PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, what Generally what we see is we often see comorbidities, so that would mean that there's more than one thing going on at, at, at the same time. Um, I suppose as child psychiatrists, we are seeing moderate to severe mental illness, so complex, often multiple problems at, at the time of presentation. Um, sometimes there's other, maybe other difficulties that, that a child might have, like it could, it could transpire that a child might be on the autistic spectrum, so might have autism, might have some learning difficulties, some language difficulties. So it is generally that... You know that the, that there's there's a few there there can be a few different things going on, and that's why it takes time for for an assessment and time for it to merge. What is you know what is I suppose all of the, the maybe the different ingredients to to that presentation. Wow, that's fascinating because yeah. listening to the doctors from the previous weeks it's speaking about when this can emerge later in life, but to hear that these things can come to light so young in life, that's fascinating. Tell me what an assessment might look like if you had a child come in. So again, it goes back to the context. It really depends on what the issue is and the context of, of, of that referral. Um, some some assessments are, say, maybe more routine and um, some are emergency assessments. Um, and so some will, I suppose, so, so child psychiatrists work often in community teams. They can work in an inpatient setting, in liaison or, or, or maybe some specialist teams, eating disorder teams, addiction services, special trauma services. So, again, you might have different assessments taking place in, in you know, in in different settings. Um they would it would usually entail the the, the, the young person the parent or, or the guardian um sometimes if, if we have time to schedule a, an assessment we may you know we try to do as much thinking as, as we can sometimes it's it's best to get a parent in maybe on on, on their own to, to give to give some history because that history might be difficult to to get in front of the child or sometimes if there's a lot of like we we, we you know we really do feel for the child, there can be a lot of difficulties coming out, and that can be very hard for them. And maybe to hear, you know, a big list of, of of difficulties. Maybe sometimes the parent needs to needs needs to talk. So it, it depends how we we schedule that, you know, initial assessment. Um, I, I know that Lorcan was talking to you about the the mental health assessment and all of the components of that. So we are looking to to see what's happening now and, and understanding that, looking back maybe on the child's life, early development, 
um, you know, how, how they did in terms of all of the meeting their milestones, their own medical history, the family history, who's at home, all of the relationships, you know, that, that are important. Maybe if there's any particular trauma or very big event in their life, understanding you know, even kind of like what it was like to go to play school and was there separation difficulties or what it was like to start school, was there bullying, how they've done with friends, um, understanding that transition maybe then to, into, you know, into primary, into secondary, what all of those really important stages were like. Um, so we also look at maybe if there's a particular risk factors and a really important thing that we that we do from the start is we look at protective factors. So we look at all of all of the strengths that a child might have from their interests and um, their relationships and um, the things they love, you know, what makes them them and um, that might, you know, be really important to kind of nourish those, you know, um, as 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 they kind of, you know, as they recover. Um, we're looking for the understanding that there might be within the, the you know, the child and also their system about what the, the difficulties might be. Um, sometimes we'll do questionnaires, so so we might have sent those out beforehand or or, or give them, um, you know, t- to the child. Um, and we need time. You know, assessments take time. And and as I said, some of, you know these these presentations can be very complex there's 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 a number of things go- going on and children and fam- and parents need need time and we try to give that the assessments do take time for that yeah. reason because you want to get it right it is fascinating do keep it here i'm going to be asking lots more questions after this short break keep it here and spin now with me katie welcome back to spin now with me katie and i'm still joined live in studio with this week's special guest it is dr antonia o'keefe a child and adolescent psychiatrist so my next question is what happens after the assessment i know before the break we were talking about the assessment process but what happens after the assessment? We, I suppose we put together a formulation and that could be our understanding of what is happening um, maybe what vulnerabilities the child might have, what strengths what have they might have. Was there any particular, I suppose, thing that, that might have kind of brought, what, you know, what's happening on? Um, and we take a very broad, I know you've talked about the biopsychosocial model in child psychiatry, we take a very broad you know, view, you know, of, of that model. Um, and we have to because children are so dependent, you know, in, in terms of relationships on, you know, the on their carers, on their parents and and their environment. Um, so 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 we put we put we put, you know, a tentative. It can be it can be very tentative because there may be still a lot that we that we don't know. Um, and we we give feedback to 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 the to the child and to the parent. We can make an initial plan. We can give a working diagnosis, you know, that we think this may be, say, ADHD. Um, we can do some foundation work and that, that work could include work on, on maybe re-establishing a healthy sleep cycle, maybe pushing some limits on phone use, on eating, on exercise. Um, we may identify that there's other parts of the assessment that that um, might not, like further assessment might be needed, say for ADHD, that could include going into a school to see what the young person, how they're managing in, in the classroom setting. It could be that a speech and language assessment is needed to understand what, you know, what communication uh, strengths and difficulties the child might have, what their language is like. And again, that would feed into what therapy we, we may be considering. So from the very start, we're collaborating. It's around establishing a rela- relationship and a way of working with the with the child and, and, and with the parents. 
I love that you said that because it is an aftercare care pack. It's, you know, it's ongoing work. This yeah. isn't just walk in, have this assessment. Afterwards, there is things that are put in place to make the child's life easier. And so I, I really love that you said that. Can I ask you, what is containment though? So I, I suppose containment, well, it's a, it's a term from psychotherapy and it looks at that sometimes emotion emotions are overwhelming. Um, but within, the, I suppose, the normal kind of um, parent-child relationship, parents often contain the maybe unbearable feelings of, of their child. We, as, as child psychiatrists, often contain a lot of emotion in terms of the team, like we, we are leaders, you know, with, within, within our teams. And the teams that we work with often contain a lot of emotion in terms of the, the children and families that, that we see. And the idea then is that those emotions are in some way, I suppose, understood a little bit more and then they can be taken, taken back. When, you know, you diagnose a child or figure out where this support is needed, what sort of treatments can be offered to children and young people? So, again, that very much depends on, on you know, on the young person. So all the time we're looking at, we are looking at like what the what the evidence base might say, so say looking at nice guidelines, but we also tailor as to what the child or, or, or family are maybe able for or um, thinking of how we might do that therapy. Um, it could be that we n- might need to, to look at kind of a very phased approach to, 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 to therapy. So some of the some of the work might be individual, so individual with that child. It could be that we look at some group work and that can work very well for, say, anxiety or maybe if we were, you know, a mindfulness group or a skill based group on looking at how to to manage feelings. We also do family work. Um, and that might be, say, in particular, say, with family-based therapy for eating disorder or more of a systemic approach, you know, in, in terms of family therapy. We may do parent-child work. Um, sometimes we do parent work or we may have groups that, that, that parents can, can join. Um, I suppose in different in different places or in different teams, there may be a different ranges of, 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 of therapies and treatments on offer. And what we like to advocate for is as much, I think, that diversity of of, of therapies for, for a child. So that there is choice in, in, in what what therapies that they may they may be able to avail of. So sometimes play therapies, the creative therapies, music or art psychotherapies, say um, CBT, maybe compassion focused work, solution focused work. And then there can be skill building, you know, looking at emotional regulation, managing distress, managing anxiety, and maybe DBT, you probably talked about that last week, the dialectical behavioural therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love that you mentioned all that because I always scream about therapy and how important it is and there's so many different types of therapy and I love that you mentioned as well that there is parent groups there you know it is very overwhelming for parents with special needs kids or if the family's big or the family dynamic is different and what people don't realise is when you go and see a psychiatrist and you look at these things for your child it's not just that it's it it webs out so far because you're willing and wanting to help the family unit help the parent and understand the stress they may be under and even with the skills building and the emotional regulation that's something I've talked about over the past couple of weeks that's massive you know that's not just for children like there is adults walking around in this world that don't know how to regulate their emotions and having that 
skill in your life can change your whole world. So if it can do that for a child, imagine what it can do for an adult. And the fact that you mentioned there that you give that skill to people, I think that's amazing. And I think if our listeners took anything from that today and what psychiatrists do, it is the fact that it's not just about diagnosing your child. It's about giving you the support for the family the adult and the skills that you need. We also do use medication. We, we are doctors, um, so we do use medication. Um, and usually medications are, are best used, I suppose, in combination with with the other ter- therapies or with the other, other treatments that we might look at. And a collaborative relationship as well is so important with the, with the young person, the, you know, and, and the parents. What sort of physical monitoring does a child psychiatrist do? Yeah, so we so we so we do quite a lot of physical monitoring. So we would, I suppose, look at growth and um, so weight and height. And that could be because, say, a young person who's very anxious or is depressed may not be eating as, as much as they used to. Um, it's also because some of the medications that we use can affect appetite. So say a stimulant medication for, for ADHD. And um, so we, we keep an eye on growth. Um, and then for the, I suppose, the small group of young people who are on antipsychotic medication that we check the height, the weight, the blood pressure, the pulse. Um, for, for young people who have eating disorder, then there would be very, I suppose, specific monitoring that we might do. And we're often collaborating with the with the GP and maybe the paediatrician, keeping an eye on the pulse and blood pressure, the, the weight and, and the height and the growth. Yeah, I you think know. that's why we love there's there's so many components to so many, you know, components to our work. Um, we see children, as I say, in so many different settings, so many different ages, so much presentation and we see them recover, which is which is so important. We see see them do well and recover, get back on track in terms of, you know, friends and school and, you know, and maybe thinking about jobs or college or other things that they they may do. And yeah. thriving and thriving. thriving in life. Yeah, some there are there are some young people now that their their course is more complicated. We could never say that we don't because we don't know at, at the start, but they may, I suppose, go on to have a a longer term relationship with with the mental health services and may transition then in you know onto onto adult services. Um, but I think for for those young people, it's really important that that you know that relationship with services and that that we do our very best to advocate and support and and encourage it at at every stage. My last question, what are protective factors and why are they so important? Yeah, so I suppose that when young people come, you know, children and and young people come, there's so much that might be difficult. There's things that that aren't going well for them. Um, So it's it's important to understand all of the things that might be protecting the the young person, might be in terms of maybe their relationships, in terms of their interests, maybe loving animals, loving cooking, loving reading. but but understanding the the positives as well as as the negatives, and I think that 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 is so important that that we do that, um, yeah, their interests, their relationships, um, and it's such a privilege to do this work, you know, that we really get to get to know kids, um, and I was saying earlier they can be so honest, and it's oh, very too <laughs> honest, too <laughs> honest. It's, it's very it's very moving, you know, what what you know what what they may say to us sometimes, or you know the the insight they may have into themselves and you know into 
into into their lives. Because no one yeah. realises like kids when you give them the space and the time to talk to them and give them that space that they can be open and honest. It is amazing to see what their little worries are yeah. and what they're carrying daily, which may be changing their behaviours or changing how they react to situations. So I do love that you know, you create that space to allow them to say those things, as you just said. And yes, they can be too honest <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. OK, so Antonia, thank you so much for giving us all that information today. And that is wrapping up four weeks of very intense but educational information around what really causes the mental health decline besides Depression, anxiety, stressful days, you know, those disorders are something I hope our listeners will look at and uh, maybe relate to. And Antonia, I'll wrap on. If anyone wanted to get more information, where would they go to find it? Um, The College of Psychiatrists website. So they they have some some really good resources under under young people. There's there's excellent, I suppose, supports out there. Jigsaw have a very good good website Bernardo's have an excellent website even maybe talking to your kids and you know dealing with some some difficulties that come up for teens and the HSC website has on you know has some videos on CAMS and you know attending your first appointment or what an assessment might be like and so yeah there's there's a lot of resources out there and that's it that wraps four weeks Antonia our final guest of a four week special thanks for taking the time to join me in studio thank you Katie